Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me in 2020 on this sports podcast as we break down football today. My buddy Tom Weisenbach calls in from Philadelphia to break down the divisional round of the playoffs. His Eagles taking on the Seahawks on Sunday, as well as the Viking Saints game. Saturday features Texans, Bills, and the Patriots, Titans. Will the Patriots dynasty come to an end, or will it keep on rolling, baby, into the divisional round? We talk about all the coaching news, the Browns organization continuing to let me down. Kitchen's out, Dorsey out, Haslam's still there. Incredible. Uh, what will happen with the Cowboys? Will Matt Rule take an NFL job? And uh, some other news and notes that we're going to talk, including college football, Buckeyes, terrible loss, one that's going to haunt me for a long time. We look at LSU and Clemson and all the other bowl games and our favorite bowl moments of the year. It's Tom Weisenbach now on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, ringing in the new year, new decade. It's my buddy from Philadelphia, Tom Weisenbach. Tom, thanks for joining the show. No problem, Mitch. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, I know. Is that a Redskins joke? Huh? We're going to start with that. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I feel like you come on only on like, or I shouldn't say only, but mostly on like special occasions like it's one of these landmark episodes of this podcast, like 100 or 200. One of us is moving across the country or we're ringing in, you know, a new decade. So I feel like it's like a reserved special occasion type thing right now. That makes me feel special. So that's, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, there's a lot to discuss in the world of football, both professionally and collegiately. Uh, I'm gonna get, we're going to get to all the playoff games coming up. Some college thoughts as well as something that's harping me uh, off the field. But first off... I am going to talk about a lot of the coaching news and notes because we're at that time every year, NFL regular season ends, and I almost don't even really consider it Black Monday anymore, Tom, because you're, we're talking Sunday night, sometimes even, even before the game. We have an idea of who's going to get fired, who's going to get moved on, and it's just crazy that every year between like five and eight coaches are in serious jeopardy and ultimately lose their jobs. We're talking about a quarter of the league potentially turning over at that head coaching position every year. Yeah, I mean, unless you're in Dallas and that's still up in the air as to what's going on. But uh, you're going to always have a bottom half of the league that, that wants to get better. And then there's going to be some teams that, that are sticking with their first or second year head coach in order to um, kind of reload and, and see what they have with their upcoming draft picks. But I think, you know, with every firing comes a new uh, possible, you know, retread or rejuvenation in this in a new team that's been struggling uh, i.e. the Redskins and Ron Rivera. Um, I know Pat Shermer's kind of been fledgling in the league for some reason. He continues to get head coaching jobs That's without incredible. much success, um, as you know very well. Uh-huh. Yeah. His challenge record is not that great No, it's in not. his uh, career. It's not. That was. I mean, I could have told you that after the Browns tenure that that guy's not a good head coach. Um, but Rivera, I mean, the Redskins, oddly enough, probably handled it the best way of anybody. They got Gruden out of there early when they wanted to move on. They got Allen out of there, which is uh, probably the bigger move. When you think about the fact that uh, at a time, I think it, it was right, they had Shanahan, LaFleur, and McVay all on their coaching staff, and Allen didn't hire any of them to be a head coach. That's typical. <laughs> so these are all coaches that are either, you know, McVay made the Super Bowl last year, and uh, Allen and uh, or Shanahan and LaFleur have the buys in the, in the NFC this year. 
But I digress. Uh, they get Ron Rivera in. It kind of ran its course in Carolina. I think he's good at writing the ship and building something. Does he have enough talent? Is he a good enough coach to take them over the hump? I'm not sure. Bringing in Del Rio to run the defense certainly helps. They're the only thing that's kind of shorted up right from the get-go. Uh, the Dallas situation is very fascinating because this just goes to show me, Tom, and I don't know how you feel about this as someone that despises the Cowboys. They really don't run their organization like anybody else in sports. And I don't know. It's, it sounds worse than it is, but I get the sense that they're really – they really don't want to just rip the Band-Aid off with Garrett. I, I don't know if they're dangling for another candidate that they're not sure is going to come or if they really think it's like a family operation where he deserves some job, some role, if it's not the head coach for life. It's a fascinating situation from the outside. Yeah, and I don't know if they want their guy and then they know kind of that, that they have that 8-8. Eight eight. They're one game away from the NFC title game or, you know, NFC uh, East championship anyway. Um this year, and they kind of know that Jason Carrots every year going to going to lead you to an eight and eight contender, you know nine and seven possible, you know, you know a few bounces of the football go here and there, and, and a lot of these seasons are different. I mean, um, mm-hmm. so e- either Jerry Jones is looking for his candidate to want it, i.e. Um, Matt Rule or Lincoln Riley or some of these guys in college like a, to, to strike fire with Jimmy Johnson part two in, in Jerry Jones's Twilight or he goes back to the steady stay the course with the roster that you have that has a lot of talent and and they can they can maybe make a run next year but that's kind of been the mantra for the last several years. Well, and I agree with most of what you said. I think that's a good point. Um, Jerry Jones complex, the, the the Jerry Jones complex, I should say, is fascinating because I think the main reason, you talk to enough Dallas people, why Garrett, why a guy has lasted that long without really having the success. And, I mean, nine years is an eternity at the NFL head coaching level, especially not really getting, you know, not even making an NFC East, not, not even making an NFC championship game, is because I think he defers to Jerry Jones. And Jerry wants a ring more than anything in the twilight of his career now being in the Hall of Fame. But the one thing he's had a trouble with is sharing the authority. Jerry, jo- Jerry, you know, Jimmy Johnson, I should say, wins two, and he gets rid of him. Barry Switzer wins one, and it ends badly. You know, so there's that trade-off. How much power is he willing to give up? The big names that you hear, Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer from college, um, you know, other names that are thrown out there. This is the roster I would want. But I don't know if the situation's right to lead and be be the guy because how much control are you ultimately going to have? Yeah, and there's other opportunities. It kind of is the difference between what would you want a Browns job in an organization that is, is uh, <laughs> you know is, is perennially kind of run with a coach first mentality, but at the same time they can pull a plug very quickly and 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 that that you know you know more than anybody what that culture is like, or do you get would you rather have all the headlines in Dallas and defer to your owner on a daily basis? And he's the one where all the media goes and, and, um, and looks for at the end of a loss and, and you're kind of the puppet that that's just there to, you know, as the figurehead, so to speak. Um, he's not going to have personnel control in that organization. And, and it's just kind of that personality where, um, you know, if you're a, a Cowboys fan, as a coach and you kind of target that job, you're going to be more marketable um, and have more spotlight on you for future and for, for, for future jobs. 
Well, I just want to make one thing. I know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to make one thing clear to go off that. I mean, if I'm a top candidate, I do not want the job with the Browns. Like, And I'm saying this as a Browns fan. But how could you justify working <laughs> for those owners? I mean, I'm at I'm at my I'm at a, I'm at my wits end here with the Haslam. Well, with the time, other jobs I, open too. I, I know, and that's the thing. I mean, look, I I wanted Kitchens fired as much as anybody. We've texted about this. We've talked about this. He was in over his head. Probably a nice guy, not ready to be a head coach. Again, a bad decision to hire him. Okay, we're gonna clean out that. We're gonna fire. We're gonna fire Dorsey who. Until you know, until this year, it was all roses with him. Everything was great. He's building the culture. He's turning it around. He makes you know the kitchens hires on him. The uh, the Beckham trade might not have worked out. You had Zeitler in there, and, and, and Vernon hasn't panned out. But okay, you got to give these guys room to grow, at least at the front office level. And from what we've seen from the Haslam's, Tom, they meddle in everything. They can't competently run the organization. I'm putting them up there right now as. They're, I'm throwing my hat in the race, Tom, for worst owners in sports. That's that's the point where I'm at right now. Because we're, we're, what we're seeing is owners that meddle. That that's worse than, I mean, that's worse than a cheap owner. That's worse than the owners that don't really have their pulse on everything. I mean, just stay out of the way. That's like the bare minimum. I ask, <laughs> just stay out of the way and don't meddle all the time. And and today he holds a press conference. They're interviewing Mike McCarthy, and he holds a press conference in the middle of the interview. Who else does that? I mean, I'm just. I'm, I'm not going to try to get too worked up, but that's what I needed to say. <laughs> I yeah, I think those are all valid points. Who who does do that? Anybody else? I think maybe there if if there is a strategy there, it's just to tell the rest of the world, hey, we have a you know a viable candidate here. This is the guy that we may not want, and so all the other coaches are welcome to interview as well. <laughs> um, I haven't been following the story, nor do I really follow much of the Browns. Um, inertia but i just don't uh don't think they're going to make the decision that's going to be franchise changing unless they get um i don't know what i don't even know how uh, with a roster that talented that it didn't happen but i re- i do recall you you um with everybody saying super bowl earlier in the year you kind of said yeah it's going to be a really good browns year it's probably going to be 6 and 10 yeah, I mean, secretly, I thought nine and seven was possible, and it should have been possible with the schedule, with the games that they, you know, with the games that they'd won, and they left on the table, losing to some back of quarterbacks. Shockingly enough, beating the Bron- beating the Ravens early in the year, beating the Bills, both teams in the playoffs, but can't figure out a way uh, to win that one. And this is just the record. I just want to share this information that's out there for for the Haslam's. Five coaches, five general managers, two team presidents, and the thirty-two, eighty-eight, and one record as the ownership. So that's what we're dealing with right now. So I'm just, I'm just gonna, just gonna move on from there. Uh, you know, McCarthy, I think, is a coach that I would have liked to consider hiring last year. It's a good interview. Uh, Matt Rule is going to turn down the Browns, which again I totally understand. Giants and Panthers are there. Maybe he stays at Baylor. Uh, your guy from Temple, just keep moving up in the world. Uh, but then you look at the other candidates, Tom. McDaniels is, is back and, and fully in the mix to coach. Greg Roman is somebody that I would strongly consider what he's done with the Ravens as their OC. You have uh, the Niners, Sala as well, that D coordinator is somebody. And then the guy that they almost hired last year, Stefanski, the Vikings uh, offensive coordinator too. Those would be the ones I would target to look at. I think they, at the very least, ahead of Freddie Kitchens, Tom, they have experience. 
they have a lot of experience calling plays on either side of the ball that I mentioned. So it wouldn't be a situation right off the bat we're wondering if they're in over their head. Yeah, they're not going to embarrass the franchise either with the, with the you know Pittsburgh Sparks starting a T-shirt and really just knowing how to carry yourself as a head coach is is a number one uh, something that can normalize the franchise and and someone like Mike McCarthy or some of these other coordinators that have experience with stable franchises can uh, can kind of provide for you. It's going to be interesting to see how the dominoes shake out. There's a lot of uh, decision making, and I'm putting it on your guy. He, I think he's a big domino in all this. Matt Rule, what a rise in the coaching ranks, Tom, from from Temple. Yeah, my guy. You, I got to share this now. Where do you where do you land on Rule right now? Because even my my I have another couple friends actually that went to Temple. One out here who I work with, and he said he might have even said it on this podcast that he was lied to basically by rule said he wouldn't leave but he still loves him it's like he he went on took another job which he didn't want it which no one wanted but he still loves and respects him so i don't know yeah well his first year at temple the team was very bad and i was not happy with him and then they they kind of uh, came back and that culminated with the big college game day coming to philly and there was a notre dame showdown um and I, you know, at that point really enjoyed him. And, and yes, he did seem to be the guy to stay that would have stayed for a little bit longer. And if he's the guy that doesn't stay, then it's kind of a lost cause for anybody to stay for very long was kind of the way I was feeling. And I was very upset about that until maybe Manny Diaz did his thing. And now it's like what he did was less cool. <laughs> but now that he turned, like what he did at Baylor is so uh, historic and, and turning that program around with how badly they they left the program yeah. with uh, what was it, uh, Bryles that was yeah, there, Art Bryles and all the scandals, and and they were worse. Exactly. I mean, they were worse than you guys were. Temple was the start because of all the scandals well, yeah. and sanctions and losses of scholarship. So it's it's fun to I mean it's cool to see Phil Snow, even the defensive coordinator, get a lot of publicity because he was one uh, of the key instruments in turning it around that defense there too and. He was uh, there under Al Golden, so he re- reinstituted a lot of the traditions that came with Al Golden turning around the program initially. And he did come from the NFL, so he had a really good NFL background. With the uh, he was like an offensive line coach for the Giants before he took the, uh, the the job with Temple. So, so there's definitely a lot of pedigree there that where he could be a hot name in the NFL. It's a matter of how committed he is to a big time program in Baylor. I, I don't have any ill will, and I'll, I'll definitely root for Rule um, in the future. I do follow him on Twitter still, so All right, there you that's go. something. Shout out to his Twitter <laughs> account. I, I think he's going to jump to the NFL. I think I think the move, the, the pieces are in place, and this is a guy who has NFL experience. That's a big thing to point out. Uh, so Would he so, go to the Giants or the Cowboys? I, I think, would say one of those two spots. I think Giants. I think I think Giants. That because he has the history there. Has history there. You're, you're walking into more of a stable, you know, a, a structure, I should say, that would probably suit him well. Remains fascinating. Uh, Tom Weisenbach, Money Mitch Effect. Let's talk about this week's playoff games because there are teams going on. We got the Wild Card Weekend. We're ready to go with this and uh, the first game in that early Saturday slot. Oddly enough. You know, we, we always make fun of this game. It's, it's usually on ESPN, and they pit, you know, the Texans have played in this game a lot. We've seen the worst matchup there. But Bill's Texans in that slot goes to show me this is a pretty solid game, Tom, and, and this is maybe the deepest wild card weekend I can remember in quite some time. 
Yeah, that shows you. Yeah, there's like the the have and the have nots. There's a whole lot of twelve win, you know, twelve win teams, and then the and it's, the wild cards are tend to be really entertaining. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. My team limping into the to this weekend, but they're there nonetheless. And then the Cowboys aren't, so that's what we have to, to show yeah. for. We get a bonus week of football, and then we'll see where where the where the run takes the Eagles. But I'm I'm as far as the Texans and uh, Bills go, I think it, yeah, it's kind of the the steady wild card Texan disappointment versus the possible up and coming AFC East perennial champions. If Tom Brady decides to give it up in a couple of years, but we've kind of said that for a few years yeah. in the past. So have they, ever done, have they ever done this before AFC NFC on different days? That's another strange thing that I noticed. Yeah, I don't know if they've ha- they have done that yet because it seems to be like a disadvantage to one of the teams eventually getting a, an extra day to prepare. So just doing it on a Saturday in general is is strange. But um, yeah, I don't know if it if it matters much in the grand scheme of things or if they've done it before. Well, that first game I just want to mention Texans Bills uh, Texans three point home favorites. That's your your standard you know betting term for basically a pick em, that three-point home bump. Uh, Houston's been a Jekyll and Hyde team all year. Deshaun Watson's done some great stuff, but they have been known to lay some eggs at time. This Bills team, very scrappy, and uh, with Josh Allen playing the way he does, I actually think the value is to take the Bills here. Bills could win this game. I think there's a very real possibility. You don't know what you're getting in, in a returning J.J. Watt. And I just still, they lost this home playoff game last year to the Colts or the Texans. I don't trust them to run the ball consistently, which I think you're going to need to do against this Bills defense that's pretty vaunted. Yeah, I pretty much agree entirely with you that you don't know what you're going to get with J.J. Uh, He could wreck a game, but he could also, um, like, I mean, Josh Allen could possibly just kind of run around him if, you know, if if he's not 100% game shape. Um, I also like, like the Bills in this one, too, just for the value, like you said, that, that just the Texans consistently have laid an egg in this weekend, and and I don't know if they get over the hump this this year. Well, that's gonna be a big game to look at. But, also, looking at you know the night game because you have another AFC South uh, team that's made it, and we, we've kind of given that division some slack. But two AFC two AFC South, two AFC East teams both make the playoffs, and uh, the Tennessee Titans coming in on the road to New England. New England just absolutely gave away that bye last week by losing to Fitzmagic and company in Miami, at home against Miami. Ryan Tannehill, Tom, led the league in passer rating, which nobody on planet Earth saw coming. So the Titans are coming in with some momentum with Tannehill, Henry, and the emerging, ever-emerging A.J. Brown. Their offense is is kind of a weapon all of a sudden. It's amazing, and what does that say for Marcus Mariota on the free agency market? But that's more of an off-season topic, (laughs) I think. Is uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, may be a stopgap option for them, or he may kind of finally emerge as as a starter in this league. And I'm gonna I'm gonna dub this game the what Vray Bill Bowl because of uh, Mike Vrabel going yeah. against his former team. And then we'll see what they have in store for them. I, I'm not sure they have enough. This is what the longest odds that the Patriots have had to win the Super Bowl. In a, um, in the uh, Belichick and Brady era, I think it's twenty to one going into the 
to the weekend for their Super Bowl. As far as a value bet, <laughs> I drop a couple bucks on that just just for the sake of longevity. Yeah, um, um, the first time they haven't had a buy in I think nine years, which is insane to even think about. There's clearly weaknesses on this Patriots team. They lack game breakers. The run game has been suspect. Brady's 42 years old. And that defense that was electrifying the first half of the season has come back down to good but not quite great level in recent weeks as evidenced in that Dolphins game. But I'm not pronouncing them dead against the Tennessee Titans. Okay, That's just not going to happen. Five points, maybe maybe a little too much. If uh, This is a game I have no plan on betting on. But I would say Titans, if push come to sub, give me five points. I see a Patriot field goal win, maybe some late Brady magic. But I'm not pronouncing them dead, and I'm no way going to predict that they lose to the Titans. Just don't. Just show me the track record, and, and maybe you know I'll I'll have to see it before I believe it. Yeah, I look back to a couple weeks ago against the Bills. I see that type of kind of hard nosed game where the where the the experience of Brady and, and Belichick's defensive calls can confuse Tannehill in a in a his really first playoff situation. Um, they've they've seen this quarterback before. They know his weaknesses with him in Miami. The problem is they consistently lost to Miami at least once a year, and that tradition continued this year. But um, if Tannehill has a little bit of magic left, then uh, then that would be a, a pretty good uh, wrench to throw into this uh, NFL playoffs early on in the in the season. So I think we're we're kind of in agreement that it looks like the Patriots win this game, but the line could be. Could be a tricky situation. It's stayed at about the ugly. same. Ugly. I'm thinking ugly. Yeah. I I, I don't know if I'm at ugly. I, this is one where I do think, yeah, I do think the Patriots are going to are gonna pull it out. I just I want to see what the bounce back looks like, and I do think Tennessee's offense has the playmakers now. But we'll see. Uh, the NFC, the first game before we get to the last one that I know you're dying to talk about, Saints-Vikings, biggest point spread on the weekend, seven and a half Saints at home. Vikings coming in with very little to no momentum, losing to the Packers to uh, basically clinch the sixth seed and then resting everybody. The Saints finished 13-3 and and did not get a bye. Another ridiculous thing with this NFC playoffs. Tom, seven and a half points at home. Saints playing well. Pissed off about the last two years, specifically against Minnesota in one of those cases. This this seems like a trap. I'm going to say it right now. Because all signs point to a, Saints, to a Saints boat race of a victory. Should you should you be talking me off the ledge here, or do you think the Saints are going to win relatively easy? Yeah, I think all, like all signs do point to that. And what is it, seven and a half? And that half a point is always that Vegas tease, especially over a touchdown. That's like, are you sure they're going to do it? So, two score game. Uh, it depends on. I believe Dalvin Cook is he still injured? Is he definitely going to play? Is he heard is playing? He a full but... go. It's his effectiveness. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You, you touched on it, and what's his effectiveness, and what's Kirk Cousins' effectiveness in a big game? Mm-hmm. We're still asking that same question. So, uh, the defense also on the road. Minnesota. Yeah, the, I like the Saints due to the fact that it's in the in the dome. It's Drew Brees. It's they're going to be laser focused in this one. Sean Payton at home in the playoffs is really really difficult uh, to, to to go up against unless turnovers and ball control Mike Zimmer take care of business so that's the only way that it's close I think if if the Saints are going to do it by by 10 points or more you know boat race like you kind of alluded to it's going to be Drew Brees Michael Thomas Alvin Kamara greatest show on Superdome and but I, I I kind of agree with you that Minnesota can 
has the ability to keep it close. Will they? I, I, I'm not going to be the one to tell you if they are or not. <laughs> I like the Saints in this one I'm, to cover. I'm passing the buck. Yeah, I like the Saints in this one to cover. I'm very bad at being talked off the ledge. All signs point to this one. That one loss that cost them home field was that game against San Francisco at home. That was an insane game. Uh, I don't see Minnesota's offense having that kind of effectiveness in this one, but uh, maybe that's more of a testament to Shanahan and the plays he called in that game to really get them going. Like Breeze. One of the Saints have been a couple plays away from the Super Bowl the last two years, so I think it's it's got to be a motivating factor, especially on this weekend, that they won't lay an egg. Michael Thomas is going to probably carve them up as well. I would I would, <laughs> I would be shocked if he doesn't have a good game. All he does is catch double-digit catches and a couple touchdowns every week, it seems. So we're looking at Saints there in that one. And then the main event in Philadelphia and Seattle of the wild card weekend, the Eagles limping in, as you said, literally limping in to the playoffs. There's, there's no <laughs> denying that. Uh, but they get in. Good job by Peterson and good job by Wentz and uh, the guys that stepped up, Boston Scott, players across the board to help the Eagles win the NFC East with that 9-7 and record taking on the 11-5 and Seattle Seahawks. Tom, line actually opened at Philadelphia minus one. It's since flipped to about two or one and a half for Seattle. It's a, it's a fascinating one, and I'm going to say it for a couple of reasons because the Eagles at home, big environment, playoff game, a team that with the exception of, of Wentz, the culture in there, they've been in this situation in playoff runs recently. They've had success. Peterson knows how to coach up his guys in this game and, and rally late. Seattle has vulnerabilities, and, and I think part of it is just how great Russell Wilson is that's got him along this far to that 11-5 and record. There's a real opportunity, I think, Tom, for the Eagles to do well in this game, but it's, a, it's that double-edged sword because Russell Wilson is that incredible, as I just mentioned. And you can never count him out, and you'd be scared to death. I would be scared to death playing him in any game that I'm in. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what you think the Eagles can do defensively. The secondary has actually looked a little bit better, but the injuries, they just keep piling up. There was a line in the medical tent last week. What, what does that <laughs> Eagle defensive unit look like, and how can they, they slow down one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL? I think the Eagles secondary has looked good based on who they've been playing over the last month. I mean, you can really look to, you know, Washington, New York, Dallas, et cetera. You know, they, they didn't play very, very good teams and, and they're winning the games. You know, they had to win the games to get in. So they have been playing playoff games over the last month of the season with guys they picked up at the local Wawa. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty telling that, but like, Honestly, the, the defensive backs have been beat on a lot of these throws that just been the balls have been hitting them in the back. Like I don't think I think Sidney Jones is 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 performing well. I think he's finally maturing into a really solid NFL corner. Um, they are kind of a Jekyll Hyde defense. The, the the key here is I don't know if 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 Seattle can get that run game going. That's kind of the big injury bug for them. And and I think if the game comes down to the fourth quarter and Russell Wilson making a play. I would lean towards Seahawks because Carson Wentz is 0-3 all-time against the Seattle Seahawks. He hasn't played the playoff game. I'm really interested to see how he responds to the really big-time atmosphere in the link with the pressure on. This is the, the, the thing he wanted in 2017 that he couldn't do because of the injury. This is the first playoff game, the first test. I'm interested to see how this guy develops in this game. Even if they don't go very far in the playoffs, this is the game that gets you the experience and, and gives you confidence in him as the franchise guy for for even 
five years down the road to come to see if they can forget about Nick Foles for a little bit. Yeah, you you almost you know you need those Dallas receiver type drops in this one. <laughs> that'll that'll make the secondary look a little bit better too. Well, that's uh, the other thing is DK Metcalf versus JJ Arcega Whiteside. You got yeah. the guy that could have been drafted. That's a deep threat and an incredible uh, asset to the Seahawks thus far with their talent deficiencies in certain areas. And then you can see Greg Ward, Parker Davis. Guys that we haven't, like, a lot of times, I was at a family party during that game, and, and pretty much anybody that caught the ball, it was, who? What? Where did this guy come <laughs> and from? these are Spirit, people that seriously. watch the these Eagles every week. These guys are diehard Eagles fans <laughs> yeah. every week. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a preseason game out there in the fourth quarter. But I don't think Ertz is a factor. I don't think he's going to play yeah. because, I mean, the lacerated his stinking kidney. I'm kind yeah. of flabbergasted that people in Billy are still, like, talking as if he could play. Um, good. That's just something you can't risk. That's a really serious medical situation. Um, Goddard shows that he can step up and really get into that role. And if they're going to play Perkins as that kind of tight end, H back, uh, wide receiver flex guy, they can still do that 21 personnel and, and be effective. Uh, I just think Pete Carroll and, and the Seahawks have beaten the Eagles in Philly a couple of times under this regime. They did it this season already. And that's the only thing that would be in the Eagles' favor is that second time facing them this year. Uh, maybe the tendencies are, are there that they can adjust to, but I still kind of lean Seahawks in this one. But, I mean, I'm going to be rooting uh, for the Eagles as far as the game goes. Like, you see that, you know, last year's playoffs, it came down to the double doink against Chicago, and 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 I see kind of another close game where um, any, anything could happen. It's the playoffs. Yeah, well, I think you, you summed it up perfectly in an unbiased way, as best you can. I am picking the Seahawks in this game with all due respect. Another note to just bring up, Seattle 7-1 and one on the road this year. Uh, just a, a, a tremendous year for them. So I think the only game they lost was that Rams game on the road. So, um, yeah, I just think they're going to figure out a way to do it. I think the Eagles personnel, Ertz was a killer. And one more body in that secondary could help. Now, if the Eagles can get a pass rush and exploit Seattle's shaky offensive line, that'll be a huge that'll be a huge lift. But you know, again, it's harder, easier said than done. Just because you get through doesn't mean you're going to take down Russell Wilson and and stop him from making plays. So, I think it's going to be a fun playoffs. I'm looking forward to it. We got some good matchups and and some good Super Bowl combinations this year, Tom. That I don't think we've necessarily had in the past. Probably because we've always just assumed the Patriots would be there. Yeah, I think I mean it's possible that you could have that rematch of the uh, the blackout with with San Fran and and Baltimore. You could have um you know the uh, Eagles and the Chiefs and finally get that Andy Reid bowl that we always want. And the <laughs> doubtful, get, doubtful. You can, but get, you can get Breeze Brady for the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. Breeze Brady, you know, maybe some uh you Breeze know, maybe Brady some nine, maybe some Niners Chiefs. I mean, Ravens uh throw them in there with somebody Packers whoever. I mean, there's options here, yeah. and I think it's going to be pretty fun to see how all of this pans out. Uh, Tom Weisenbach, Money Mitch Effect, a couple of things before we wrap up. Uh, I just got to get it off my chest. You know, the uh, the College Bowl season was great, but that uh, that Fiesta Bowl still hurts, man. Still hurts seeing Ohio State lose that game. Some questionable calls, and uh, props to Clemson for fighting. But uh, just all those things that went, went wrong, some self-inflicted wounds, some, some officiating, as I mentioned. Clemson and LSU taking on 
Clemson taking on what could be the greatest college individual season of all time by Joe Burrow. So that will be a good title game, but I'm a little salty still if the Buckeyes aren't in it. Yeah, and they, they kind of got hosed. I thought they they probably deserved to be the number one seed just based on, uh, you know, their their success. Like, why would they make them number one in before the playoff? And then what changed so dramatically on championship day that, that they flip-flopped? I mean, I know the LSU blew out their opponent and, and, and Ohio State kind of had a rougher time, but I, I feel like why, why would you flip them if, if you thought that LSU was going to be the better team even going in to to the championship, like what changed so dramatically that they flipped them, and that was kind of all the difference. You could see that LSU handled Oklahoma with ease. I think it would have probably been the same if Ohio State's in that position, and it's just a shame that they had to run into the, to the really experienced uh, championship caliber of Clemson. Yeah, well, look, Ohio State could have made plays, could have won the game. Things go go against you in sports it's part of the deal it's just not easy to take as a fan base but ryan day's built together built a, a pretty good program you got the next two number one picks and the next two drafts and burrow and lawrence facing each other assuming you know things all go according to plan there so the title game will be fun big big win for the ducks in the rose bowl yesterday wisconsin absolutely giving that game away uh we saw what else did we see yesterday tom we saw baylor get obliterated by georgia in the sugar bowl Auburn lose to Minnesota. Only Auburn can beat Alabama and then lose to Minnesota in their last two games of the year. And, uh, of course, Bama beating Michigan. There's no way Saban was ever going to lose to Harbaugh. There's no way he was trying to run the score up late. It's a pretty good New Year's Day and then in the auxiliary. <laughs> they rallied, though, too. in the first half. <laughs> they did. Alabama was on the ropes in that first half. I know uh, I was uh, the first play, Alabama scores, and then next thing you know, they're not doing much the rest of the half. And, but at the same time, when the fourth quarter came around, you knew Alabama was going to turn it on, and, and that's kind of the they kind of threw it back to, to classic Nick Saban, where they just wore out a team in the fourth quarter. And I think Georgia does kind of a similar thing uh, in that fourth quarter, where they just you know everything adds up, and and they just can't handle it. So what else was uh, what else was some of your favorite were some of your favorite bowl moments? that you saw in some of the lesser known games. I know it wasn't Temple. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> Oof. Well, I think on that game, I think that that meant a lot to UNC. It meant a lot to, to Mac Brown. It meant uh, a lot more to those guys than it did to Temple. They hadn't won a bowl in a while, and, and Mac hadn't as well. So it's really good for that program. And, and I really do like Mac Brown as a coach. So it was actually really good to see kind of, unfortunately it was against the, the school that I root for, but any other any other team? It's, just, it's funny because it's the same thing that happened the, last year with uh, Daniel Jones and Duke did the same thing and poured it on against us. So the basketball schools continue to play football, and <laughs> and that was fun. Um, honestly, the there haven't been like I remember a really good play from a few years ago where they kept lateraling and then Central Michigan won. Where was that a couple yeah, years ago? And yeah, it was there hasn't five. been a ton of like la- like one last second touchdown moment there hasn't been a bowl mania type of moment they have all been very good games and i don't really have a a specific uh moment for you but they have been all entertaining games not ton of blowouts really good matchups and and i've been pleased with with the slate but they're definitely it's strange the way they've laid it out with the nash the the college football playoff games and then there it's strange to have kind of more bowl games after the really significant games were played to adjust back to the non-significant ones. 
Yeah, yeah, it is a little odd that we still have, you know, in the title game, we're going to be down to the final four in the NFL before the title game gets played, which is kind of crazy with that. Yeah, that's off. the other strange thing. It should definitely be Monday. My, uh, I would say, you know, the only real blowout we saw was Iowa just destroy USC, and that's sad state of a program right now. My favorite moment uh, of the bowl season, it would have to be Christmas Eve night, Hawaii Bowl, and uh, sitting down on the East Coast with my family as they figured out that I was going pretty heavily for Hawaii for a couple of different reasons. <laughs> mm. So Hawaii yeah, pulls it I... out late. I was excited. And uh, I have to answer the question, why are you rooting for Hawaii so hard? So, yeah, that'd be my highlight. Of, uh, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be my highlight for that's, bowl season. That's hilarious. I, I, I think I was uh, thinking opposite of you on that game, so it was not very fun for me. There was a, there was a field goal that they didn't count because I think one of it was the over, and I think it was uh, whoever. Yeah, who did they play in that game? BYU. They didn't call a field goal good yeah. that would have hit the over, and I was looking at it like that. Obviously, that's right. Do you remember? <laughs> I do remember that. that. You heard the kicker say it went in. Though. Yeah, and I <laughs> the watched kicker it. Was there going, but but it went in. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> it was like great. That was phenomenal. Uh, Tom, very last thing, Hall of Fame, NFL, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist list came out today. A lot of great names on there. Obviously, Troy Palomalo headlines a, a very star-studded list. But I am continually upset at the biggest travesty in this whole voting process, and that's Clay Matthews Jr. not being a finalist. I really don't understand that. I can't comment too much on that. You know, I just look at his numbers. I look at what he's done. You can do the side-by-side -side with the two finalists, Sam Mills and Zach Taylor, or Zach Thomas, excuse me. Both great, great players, probably worthy of a Hall of Fame case at some point. Even Brian Urlacher, who gets in on the first try. Clay Matthews played all those years for the Browns, 15, I think, to be exact, and uh, still, still waiting. Still waiting is just due sitting out a while. So I know it's a vote. I know there's, you know, the politics in the back stories to all this that we don't know but i just don't understand it well isn't they are they uh, allowing more players this year because the hundredth year yeah and that's why it's equally frustrating i mean we're not saying not getting in we're saying not making the finalist field and you mm -hmm. look at some of the names on that list and you say okay well i don't want to single anybody out even though i might have already done that but i uh i don't know you know he he's been retired for a couple decades now and i just uh I think it's time. I mean, I think that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think it, with those old timers, they eventually get in once the clamor from the uh, the people like yourself um, finally get heard. There's there's only so many people you can let in, and and if years of service and he was a stellar player, then then uh, then so be it. But yeah, I hope uh, for your sake he'll eventually get in. It's like, come on, the Browns need something good. You know, we need some sort of boost to, to get us going into a season. <laughs> something. Give us something. But, no, uh, in all seriousness, uh, a lot of good candidates there to uh, to be voted on and uh, another good Hall of Fame class coming up. But we shall see how the voting goes. Tom Weisenbach, this was fun. Good luck with everything uh, going forward into 2020 and beyond. And uh, best of luck staying, uh, staying at a nice baseline, trying to keep the stress out watching the Eagles game. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll give it a shot, this, this whole even keel thing. All right. Appreciate it, Tom. I'll be talking to you soon. All right. See you, bitch.
Huge thanks again to Tom Weisenbach for coming on today's show. want to also update you on uh, another sport that's near and dear to my heart. The NHL has been bumping the Columbus Blue Jackets. My Blue Jackets have a point in 12 straight games, beat the Bruins last night in overtime 2-1. to one. So a, a big resurgence for them as they continue to get back in the hunt for the wild card. The Outdoor Classic was January 1st, the Winter Classic, the Outdoor Game, I should say with the Stars beating the Predators, rallying late to do that at the Cotton Bowl. Kind of a different Southern feel, Southern flavor in that one. Uh, Corey Perry is going to get suspended for a few games, deservedly so, for a vicious hit in that one. Uh, this guy just never ceases to amaze me. Hockey's heating up. We mentioned it before. The Blues are looking good again. They, they finished the year. Losing a couple, but they're still doing pretty strong. Colorado is right on their heels, so that appears to be a two-horse race for that division. See if the Stars can make a move. Winnipeg's actually playing well. Uh, and then in the West, you know, or I should say in the East, you have the Capitals. They're still collecting points. The Bruins are coming back to earth. It's kind of wide open. You know, Toronto can make a push maybe. And uh, Pittsburgh, again, another team that's just on fire as well, even with Crosby out the infrastructure. Much like their counterparts, unfortunately, in that same city, they have a structure in place that can survive injuries. So hockey's opening up. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. And I think we're in for some really, really good division races and playoff races down the stretch here in the next couple months. This was for the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. If you like the show, share it, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Thanks again. Enjoy the football this weekend and always enjoy sports.